Here we are once again. No game to look forward to here in Week 10, but hope you're having a great evening. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Thanks to our producers, Jordan Treadup and Dan Barilli and the folks here at The Score. Good to have you alongside. I'm Jeff Joniak. I'm a broadcast partner and Super Bowl Bear Tom Thayer. And, uh, Tommy, uh, coming up, we're going to summarize what has been a rocky ride through the first nine games and what to look forward to in the final eight. Uh, we're going to do that as well, uh, joined by Pro Football Hall of Fame writer Dan Pompey from The Athletic to get his thoughts on a variety of topics. Uh, but, Tommy, uh, what was your approach as a player uh, for the bye week, and uh, what is it now as an announcer? Jeff, we never had a bye week. Because we practiced during the bye week, Coach Ditka dangled the carrot in front of our faces that if we practiced well during the bye week, in which we are in full pads every day, that we would get Saturday off. We did not have this luxury (laughs) of the collective bargaining agreement making sure that you gave a responsible amount of time off for the players to recover. So as much as, you know, they wanted to call it a bye week, it was only a bye week in the sense you didn't have a game on Sunday. Uh, Do you think it's worthwhile now, though? Of course I do. I think any ways that you can benefit these players to get a little rest recovery um, to their bodies. Um, I don't want them to leave the game mentally because you can forget a lot of really important information quickly if you stay away from your iPad or if you're a, a player that's on the cusp or on the verge of understanding what every one of your assignments is. But a guy like Akeem Hicks, a guy like Khalil Mack, a guy like Eddie Jackson, Allen Robinson, these guys can recover uh, during this week of not being on their feet to the point where they can play when they uh, get ready to practice next week. Well, I thought it was interesting, and it probably doesn't shock me, but uh, Justin Fields basically, according to Matt Nagy at his news news conference on Monday, said, yeah, he's not going to get away from the game. It's just not who he is. You can't. Yeah, which is a good thing for him, though. That's a good thing for yeah, him quarterback. I, I- but I think it is equally as much for Larry Borum or, you know, um, Travis Gibson from all these, you know, Kendall Vildor, Jalen Johnson, Duke Shelley, all these guys that are still learning the information to master their craft. It's equally as important for those guys at that position. Justin Fields, after the game on the WBBM postgame show, uh, after the loss in Pittsburgh, uh, was very pleased with certain aspects of things, frustrated with another slow start with the offense in terms of penalties and field position of the first half. Uh, but he says uh, those chunk plays started to happen. We've been trying to, you know, create more explosive plays uh, from the get-go and, you know, just, uh, I mean, we're just going to continue to do that. And just just like I said before, when we start the game, we got to start fast and, you know, finish fast. Tom, did you see significant steps in development for Justin in that second half. Yes. Jeff, I want to go back to say I think this was the most important game the Bears played this season because when you heard the Bears come out of the tunnel and that stadium was about half full, it was as loud as any stadium that's, you know, completely full. And so for the Bears, even though they had such poor starting field position early in the game, they never let that compound into such a, a, a lead by the opponent that they couldn't overcome that. I think there's so many building blocks that you can take from this game, whether it's the performance of Justin or the performance of, you know, the line making sure that they stayed in tune with what they are going to try to accomplish, how well the defense played up front early portions of that game. I think this game has a chance to play dividends going forward 
even though they ended up losing the game. And Nagy on the Bears coaches show on Monday night on News Radio 1059 WBBM about Fields getting the ball to his playmakers. I think what's happening is you're starting to see Justin feel more and more comfortable with these reps he's getting with these particular uh, receivers and running backs. And now we got to grow off of that. Uh, we're, we're kind of finding a nice little balance schematically with what we like to do with him. We're finding out what his strengths and weaknesses are. Uh, and, and we're trying to put it all you know, together to make it the best for us. And, and part of that, Tom, in addition to keeping that running game revving, because it is the best thing they do as a team on any unit right now, that's the number one thing. They run the ball extremely well. Montgomery back, using him in the Wildcat. But the emergence of Cole Komet here is, is something to keep an eye on. And, frankly, the week before was Jesse James. And then Jimmy Graham, what Nagy called – Probably the best throw that you're going to see anybody make on an NFL field to Jimmy on that 28-yard play. I mean, these are developments. Darnell Mooney has a big play threat developing. Yeah, you know, I do like to keep the older the the veterans incorporated in the game plan. That play you talk about to Jimmy Graham, but I was equally as impressed by the third down throw that he made to Allen Robinson. Yeah, because if you look at the flight of the football, the location of the defender, it was a pass that there's not a lot of guys that can make. But the thing that impressed me most, and listen, man, Dave Montgomery, I'll stand up and shout from the highest mountain how important he is to the success of this team, and I like what I see out of Khalil Herbert. But there was a couple plays that reminded um, me of Russell Wilson talking about Justin Fields because he's really cognizant of where the line of scrimmage is. And even when he was scrambling outside the pocket and it looked like he was trying to put a grab on the football that that he was going to run, he was able to readjust it and find a target downfield. One of them was Darnell Mooney for the touchdown. So now if we want to make these comparisons to Russell Wilson and what he put on display early in his career when he was going through the learning stages, I think this is a game in this type of environment that we saw out of Justin. All right, coming up next, we'll be joined by Dan Pompey for about a half hour of three different segments with the Hall of Fame writer from The Athletic. He'll join the program. Tom and I will be back in just a second here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Welcome back to Bears All Access, brought to you by IGS Energy. Choose clean energy for your home at IGS.com because every good choice adds up to a better world. Pleased to be joined with Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, The Athletics, Dan Pompey, at Dan Pompey on Twitter, and here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Dan, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, Let's get into the history because we lost a piece of history this week uh, with the passing of legendary Strength coach Clyde Emmerich, a friend to everybody, uh, and as you wrote in a great piece in March of 2019, you profiled him in The Athletic, uh, a revolutionary figure in pro football, and you only have so many people that can carry that label. He truly was a revolutionary figure. He was, and you know, a true pioneer, as you guys well know. Uh, somebody, I mean, he was the elder state statesman of, of the Bears organization, uh, having spent uh, close to 60 years or maybe even more than 60 years w- in some affiliation with it. And, you know, there's nobody left like him, really. Um, you talk about a guy who started out working with Stan Jones, you know, and then he went to Doug Atkins and then he went to Butkus and Sayers and, you know, on and on Buffon. And then he moves into the the Super Bowl era with guys like Tom Thayer, he, he bragged about uh, Thayer uh, squatting 705 pounds. And, uh, you know, 
all the way to the, you know, to the Brian Urlachers and, and then the, the current uh, regime. You know, he worked with Cody Whitehair and and guys uh, on the team now. And and uh, just, uh, in addition to working with people and making them better, I think he touched human beings and made their lives better. And was such a special man to be around. Uh, always had time for you. Had a good word for you. He even uh, helped me with with uh, weightlifting at, at one point, and and uh, it helped George Hallis at one point. How about that? Uh, so I mean, you know, you're not going to see the the like of of Clyde Emmerich ever again. Uh, you know, he just a truly special man, and God rest his soul. Uh, Danny, uh, he tried to help me, as Tommy knows, and he always called me uncoachable. <laughs> But you know, <laughs> I gave I gave it a good college try. What's unmistakable about him, obviously, is the resume. But from a human point of view, just as a guy, the handshake every time and the excitement to see you. Hey, Jeffer, you always hey, Jeffer, and that firm handshake into his eighties. I, I I would love to know what that grip strength was all about. You know, it's just years of being a dedicated weightlifter. Some of the stories he tells me as him being a high school kid when he got introduced to weightlifting and he was kind of an introverted soul. And his um, activity after school was going to a weight room, whether it was inside of his house in the most primitive of conditions to when he started going to the YMCA. And he didn't attract attention because of his personality. He attracted attention because of what he did in the weight room. Um, his physique, the way that you took um, what was weightlifting back in the 50s to where it became in this generation. And I think when you have an, a footprint in the NFL like he left behind, and like Dan mentioned, you're handpicked by the guy that started the NFL, George Hallis, and it's carried a legacy to every strength coach from uh, from now into the past, all has some type of Clyde Emmerich, you know, handprint on him. I, I just think that um, it, it's amazing because he treated everybody equally, whether he was trying to rehab a guy like Ed McCaskey during his time with the Bears, to trying to give um, help and inspiration to Virginia McCaskey when she was recovering from injuries. And then to the modern day players, how he inspires them and um, the conversations you had with him. If you listen to what he had to say, you came out a better person because of it. And um, I think every single person that's come across that um, is inspiring. And I always used to ask Clyde as a joke, I always used to say, Clyde, who's your favorite player? And I wanted, I wanted him to say me, but he always say, Doug Plank. I love that guy. <laughs> if you ever got to know what that guy's all about. So, you know, Clyde didn't pull punches. He told you exactly and as honestly as he could answer whatever question you asked him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm just super um, happy in my life that I got to know and become and stay friends with a guy, with a man like Clyde Emmerich. I think Danny was uh, struck by just the individual accomplishments because, you know, I read in that story that you wrote that Brian Erlacher used to do a bear crawl backwards down steps. Was that a Brian original or was that a Clyde-induced idea? I believe it was a Brian original, but 
I think I did that a few times too after a, a night out, after a <laughs> late night getting home, you know, but uh, <laughs> I wasn't doing it to get better though. Yeah. But you know, you mentioned Tom, Tom mentioned uh, Doug Plank too. He used to take, Clyde told me this story. Plank used to, and probably told Tom this story too. Used to take 100 pound dumbbells and power clean them 10, 10 times for reps. He said, I, I didn't know of anyone else who can do that. And, you know, Doug Plank is a, is a normal-sized human being, and he had this incredible power, incredible will, and, you know, Clyde had a way, I think, of bringing that out of everybody, and that's really uh, the point that he made so many Chicago Bears better than they could have been had he not been a part of their lives. And I know, uh, Tom, you, you would say, the same that that he probably made you into a better football player well you know that was the unique quality you know Clyde constructed your body however it was meant to be constructed I was a different weightlifter than Steve McMichael Steve McMichael was a different weightlifter than Jim Morrissey and so no matter who you were and how your body was shaped Clyde designed whatever needed to be done, which was the best for you. And when you talk about those power clean dumbbells, and when I became a member of the Bears, Clyde was as active in the weight room as any player in there. And he was the type of guy that would do one arm snatches with a 120 pound dumbbell. And it was always, it wasn't a proving ground, it was inspiration. And um, that's just the way he carried himself in the weight room. He was so unique about the way that he um, went about his business in a really undersized weight room. But I, I think it was the most important development of team camaraderie um, was the way he led the guys when they got to the weight room. It was different than what we did on the field, but what we did in the weight room was equally as important to the construction of the Bears for generations. Dan Pompey from The Athletic, the Hall of Fame writer in the Pro Football Hall of Fame for his years of outstanding work, coverage, and reporting. Joining us here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score, Walter Payton deadlifting 625, Dan, at 208. That doesn't seem humanly possible, does it? Well, again, you're, you're talking about a player who was, you know, <laughs> beyond human almost, right? Uh, the, the strength and the power that, that Walter had uh, was was truly incredible and part of what made him who he was. You know, he used to, I, love, I love the story about him that uh, he used to go up to trees and just wrap his arms around them and uproot them. I mean, who, who could do that, you know? Uh, who, could, who could walk on their, on their hands across the field? You know, uh, we've all seen him do many things that just, made you stop and stare and uh that that strength that he had was was is surely you know one of those things the other interesting thing that Clyde used to tell me is he never he never did those things in the weight room like like you just talked about Jeff uh when the others were around during a, a team lift he'd do them when everyone was gone he'd say hey Clyde look what I can do <laughs> you know and and that's just just so Walter you know, can I want to give you three instances of the weight room. With um, One was Walter Payton. Somebody was doing deadlifts, and they had about 500 and something pounds on there. And Walter walked in, and just it's just his great personality. Like, how much is that? And Clyde told him how much it was. He told the guy, he goes, get away. So gets over there and does a couple reps with it. Sets it down and walks out of the weight room. 
One day after practice, there was 405 pounds on the bench. And Richard Dent comes in after practice and he gets underneath it. And Clyde goes, wait, wait, Richard, you got to warm up. You got to warm up. Clyde, get away. Clyde goes, okay, gives him a liftoff. Richard does a 405-pound bench press, sets it back on the rack, walks out of the weight room. So we are in there, and Johnny Morris was in there with us, and we are filming these, these heavy lifting segments. And so we used to have this table that was about three and a half feet high. And William Perry had 50-pound dumbbells in each hand and did 10 reps up and down, a plyometric exercise that Clyde used to have him do all the time. I actually still have a VHS copy. It was these types of guys between Fridge, between Richard, between Walter that were inspired because Clyde was in the weight room. And they didn't have to put this stuff on display all the time. It was just the inspiration of Clyde in that room. It was these guys kind of wanted to show Clyde, not everybody else. They weren't waiting for people to gather around. So, and I was in there in all three of these times with these guys walking in and it was inspiring to me, but it was also supported, inspired to, by Clyde. Talk Bears football with Dan Pompey coming up after this on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by Athletico Physical Therapy. Visit athletico.com to request an appointment in clinic or virtually and start feeling better tomorrow. With Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, and Dan Pompey from The Athletic, the Pro Football Hall of Fame writer, uh, joining us. Uh, parts unknown on a job, I'm sure. Uh, Dan, let's, uh, let's dig into this Bears team. Uh, I got to ask you, though, from a professional point of view, uh, when you wrap up a Bears game in The Athletic every Monday morning, it's very succinct comments. Is it harder to write that series of thoughts the way you do and the way you craft it versus a longer, longer form story? What's, what's harder? <laughs> well, thank you, Jeff. I, uh, what I do after the game is completely the, almost the opposite of what you guys do, because what you're doing is uh, reactionary and it's instant, right? So I try to take a step back after the game and say, okay, what did we just see that matters, that's significant, uh, that maybe has something to say about what's going to happen moving forward? And, um, you know, I, I think it, it's, not, it's not terribly difficult. It's just a matter of honing in on the right pieces and kind of looking at uh, what some of the other reactions to what just happened were. And, um, you know, it does, it does, it's not something I've had some people say to me, some critics say to me, <laughs> like, oh, what did you just do that in, in two minutes after the game? And it, no, it's, it's not like that. It's, it's, it's thought, you know, it takes some thought and it takes some uh, kind of deliberation, but um, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it comes out when you, when you really try to uh, focus in on, on what you just saw and what it means. Sometimes two days after the fact, it's a, it's old news. But but yeah. Dan, I can't help because you have such a long history with the Bears. You you wrote a book about the hundred years of of what this team has gone through. So the immediately following the game, like Monday night, and the officiating is such a big part of the story. Can you separate the two of football from officiating because? It's, it's kind of picked up steam where it's become a national story and it's a topic from everybody. 
You know, I was listening to Buckus on the Rich Eisen show talking about the officiating. I've listened to 10 national, you know, correspondents talking about the officiating. So how do you separate the two of this instance? And do you think if it, the story stays as long as it is, it helps or hurts the Bears? Well, I think it's, it's certainly something that uh, you don't ignore because it was part of the game and part of, you know, what's happening with the Bears this week after the game. And uh, as you said, it's it's become a story with some legs a little bit, even nationally. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I think there were other parts of the game, though, certainly that, that uh, demanded our attention and, you know, required analysis. So, you know, you don't, you don't want to have that one aspect kind of eclipse everything else that happened. Um, but, you know, the, the officiating was certainly uh, a factor and something that people love to focus on officiating. You know, I think any time, almost any time a team loses, there's usually a call or two. They say, well, look at that call. If it had gone the other way, you know, it would have been different. In this case, there were several of those calls. Right. And, and you know, um, some calls that really left people scratching their head. It was interesting, you know, the one that seemed to get the most attention uh, was the taunting call against Cassius Marsh, uh, which, you know, the NFL has pretty much said, no, that was that was the right call. And it was one that I, I really didn't understand all the craziness about that either. I know he didn't go, he didn't do something that was, that was flagrant, but I thought he took a risk by kind of standing and looking at the other sideline or whatever he did, or, you know, put his hands on his hips. Um, you know, one of the points I made in, in my column after the game is, you know, if I were coaching a team now with all this kind of uh, ambiguity about this taunting call, I would tell every one of my players, after every play, you need to walk back to your sideline. Don't right. dance, don't do, don't spike, don't, you know, don't look at, just go back to the sideline. And if you're in, incapable of doing that, you got a problem playing for me. So they call a couple roughing the quarterback penalties against the Bears when they was kind of in the momentum of the play. And then you go back and you watch that tape, no matter what angle you want to look at, there's a couple of hits after the fact that Justin took that he got no respect on the call. Do you think this can change and, and start giving him the calls that he deserves or do you think the officials say, hey, look, I'm, I'm not responsible for protecting this guy. It's a, that's the job of the team, the offensive line or whatever. Because I, I think in a game like the other night, some of those calls that Justin should have gotten could help the outcome of the game on behalf of the Bears, where the taunting call really helped benefit the, the Steelers and some of the other calls against Roethlisberger that weren't as, uh, as egregious as we saw happen to Justin. Those calls certainly could have, should have gone the other way with Justin. Uh, but, I, you know, he's got two things working against him. First is that, as you, you say, you know, he's on the opposite end of the experience spectrum of Ben Roethlisberger. So, you know, until you kind of get that level of respect, I think sometimes the officials look at you a little different. And then the other thing is, uh, you know, he is kind of a mobile quarterback. And if you look at the history of mobile quarterbacks, guys who take off and run with the football, they often do not get the same kind of calls that the more stationary quarterbacks get. 
Lamar Jackson has complained about it repeatedly, even this year, that, uh, you know, he gets treated more like a running back than a quarterback. That that seems to be, you know, a difficulty in uh, officiating from that standpoint. You know, sometimes I think it's hard to look at a quarterback with that kind of athleticism and mobility uh, as the quarterback that he is. Both will be on display at Soldier Field when the Bears come out of the bye week. <laughs> On the 21st, should be a fun game to call. Indeed, Dan Pompey, along with Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. Uh, what's your takeaway, Dan, on number one right now? Well, boy, you know, the last two games have really been impressive, and, you know, he's made steady progress, and it's exciting to watch the growth. And uh, he's come such a long way in such a short period of time. We didn't see what we've seen in the last game or two in the early outings of Justin Fields and makes you wonder if he can continue to, you know, accelerate his growth the way he has been accelerating it. And he clearly has special talent. And um, I, I think, you know, the Bears coaches have continued to find ways to help him bring it out and show it. You know, it, it's uh, it's going to be fun to watch for the rest of the year to see where he goes with this. You know, for me, it's the stage. It was Monday night in that place. My ears were ringing uh, all the way into yesterday, honestly, uh, from that stadium. It was loud, and, you know, granted, I keep my headphones up high, so that doesn't help, but it it, it was just the moment. It was the stage, that second half, and the comeback, and and the belief that he showed. I I just think that's going to pay dividends. I think that probably turns some veterans at heads around a little bit, Dan, if they were thinking like this is a season where it's not going anywhere. Uh, you know, we got a lot to play for because this guy could help us win games. Do you, do, you, do you suspect that that could trigger that thought out of the bye week? Certainly it's possible. I think uh, the, the, the thing about any great young quarterback is he is a harbinger of hope, you know, and I think that's what we've felt with Justin Fields ever since the Bears moved up to draft him and shocked everybody. You know, I think if you look at the fan base and um, which usually the media, which usually are reflections of the team, right? Uh, You've seen a lot of hope. And I think, you know, uh, for a while there, it looked like, well, uh, you know, maybe people were too hopeful or, you know, to to expect too much too soon. Uh, But but now after these last two games, it kind of gives you a little – reset and, and pushes everything forward again and makes you think, yeah, you know, he, he can do some things, you know, may, maybe he can even get this team out of some jams and, and carry them in certain situations. Uh, you know, you don't want to put too much on him because he's still a young player, but uh, you know, if the bears continue to be committed to the running game, if their defense can get back on track a little bit, they come up with some takeaways, you know, that's the thing that, that really could help a quarterback, right? Um, give them give them some added possession possessions and, and they, they've really um, you know interceptions I mean they've been they've been really uh, deficient at that all season long and they shouldn't be because they could rush the passer so um, I think um, you know it, it it's like I said it's going to be fun to watch this kid moving forward and, and the kind of impact he can have on the team. Dan Pompey with us from The Athletic with Tom Thayer. I'm Jeff Joniak. One more segment to go. We'll dig into that defense a little bit with Danny here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score.
Download the Chicago Bears app to play our new predictor game, Risk It, brought to you by Bet Rivers for your chance to win $250 in free bets and a custom Bears jersey. With Tom Thayer, Jeff Joniak, Dan Pompey from The Athletic, our guest, a Pro Football Hall of Fame writer. Tommy, you got the first question of this last segment with Dan. Go ahead. Okay, I know we're going to talk about the defense a little bit more, but Dan, I'd like to pick your brain. So at the halfway point in the season, last year, Allen Robinson, 9.4 targets per game. This year, 5.5. At the halfway point this year, responsible for 17 first downs. At the end of last year, responsible for 68. Are you surprised the trading trading deadline came and went without any movement here? Um, because I listen, I love Allen Robinson. I, I love his commitment since the day he got here, but you know that, I don't know. I, and there, maybe there are some guys that, you know, you know, could have been, you know, um, baited in front of other teams and it's just, you know, Allen Robinson, the numbers stick with me right now. You know, I, I get what you're saying and I, I guess I wouldn't have been shocked if something happened, but it made sense to me not to trade him or not to make any big moves uh, from this standpoint. First of all, you're trying to develop Justin Fields and you want to give him every opportunity to develop. And even though the numbers, the production have been down with Allen, I think, you know, he still is your most reliable target out there and a guy who I frankly expect every week to do more than he's done in the past in the first half of the season. Um, There's no reason why he shouldn't be doing more. And and then I think the other thing is, you know, you've got uh, everyone is out there, you know, coaching for their lives and playing for their jobs. And I think, um, you know, you'd you'd kind of send a, a bad message to the entire organization if you said, yeah, we're going to we're going to go trade Allen Robinson and Akeem Hicks or, you know, whoever it is you're going to you're going to trade because uh, everyone's out there trying their best and trying to make this work. And, and I think uh, I think that would be that would have been the wrong thing if I were the general manager. Okay, so now going to the other side of the ball, you know, you think about the defensive backfield and it's continuous and needs to continuously develop. Is Jalen Johnson a good a good guy to start the development of your defensive backfield with? It seems like he's been, you know, up to covering the team's best receiver. He can move to each side of the field. But, you know, the other guys alongside of him probably need to increase their play. Yeah, absolutely, Tom. I, I think, um, you know, the, the secondary has been an issue pretty much all season long for the Bears and uh, an area where uh, they need improvement, you know, whether it comes internally or externally uh, in the off season, probably gonna have to be some externally in the off season. Um, But I think Jalen really has fulfilled uh, the hope that Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy and Sean Desai had for him really has come on, you know, had a good rookie season obviously, and has uh, been, capable of stepping up into a more demanding, more difficult role this season, uh, which, you know, from that standpoint, uh, kind of justified uh, them for letting go of Kyle Fuller. Now, what didn't justify Kyle Fuller's departure is the play of uh, Vildor on the other side, who has struggled all season long. Uh, so, you know, they need, they still need some help, I think, in that secondary. 
Roquan Smith is having a good year, that's for sure. Dan Pompey, our guest here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score in remaining moments. He, he will get a contract. How much that is will be determined here in the, in the months and weeks to come. But the future of a 25-year-old being a face of the defense, to me, it's, it's him. And on the other side, it, it's fields on offense. Is, is that fair? And, you know, we see how he plays. He plays with a very aggressive style. How, how do you feel about Roquan as he stacks up among other NFL linebackers that have recently are in those big paydays? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's right there with him. You know, there's a lot of good young uh, inside linebackers, off-the-ball linebackers in the league. And, um, you know, he's, he's right there with them. And I think uh, he certainly stepped up this year. I think he's playing with more confidence I think he, uh, you know, the, the value of a little experience that he's had is is very evident in his play, uh, the way he reads, the way he moves to the ball. Um, you know, his his speed uh, is coming out more this year, right? He looks faster this yep. year because why? Because he's he's reading more, he's more confident, um, he he understands more. And um, you know, I, I think um, the future is very bright for him. Obviously. Uh, he's a guy who should be the face of this defense for a number of years now. Well, let's talk Hall of Fame because you're you're a part of that mix. Uh, you're on that board that um, helps select those class members. Uh, Jimbo Covert, Ed Sprinkle, this year's version. It was an honor for Tom and I to be on the field to uh, introduce them uh, in front of the fans a couple of weeks ago and get their Hall of Fame ring and and portraits. The chances of Devin Hester. Uh, we talk about revolutionary when we talked about Clyde Emmerich. We want to throw him in there too. Are there going to be more categories? Or people like Clyde Emmerich, like there was for Bill Nunn, the scout that went in from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah, well, he would uh, fall under the contributor category. Yeah. You know, we've been getting one contributor in every year. And uh, yeah, it'd, be, it'd be wonderful to, to see Clyde considered for that. There's, there's a lot of competition for that one spot of you. You're competing with uh, general managers, for instance. You're competing with scouts. I mean, there have been people talked talking about uh, trainers who, who belong or, you know, different. Uh, Ed Sable was a contributor from NFL Films. Um, there's, uh, you know, it's, it's a broad category with a lot, of, a lot of different people in it. So, you know, yeah, maybe at some point uh, Clyde would be considered certainly is worthy, like I said. As far as Devin, his first year of eligibility, you know, I have no doubt he is a Hall of Famer. I have no doubt he will be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Uh, it's just a matter of what, when he gets in. Um, as I told Devin when I talked, and don't be disappointed if you don't get in the first year because uh, it's tough. You know, there's there's so many uh, qualified candidates from across the NFL, number of whom have been waiting for for many years to get in. And the other thing that is unique about Devin's case, or not unique but rare, is that uh, he's a special teams player, and we see how special teams players have been treated by Hall of Fame voters. You know, it's taken them a long time to get in, the, the few who have gotten in, and you could count those on one hand, uh, and, and then many others have not gotten in. But, you know, Hester is different from any of them in that, you know, to me, he's the Tom Brady of, of return men. So I think, um, you know, if, if, if only he had like a radio announcer who could have given him a <laughs> you know, signature call. You know, then then he'd be a slam dunk. Right. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. You're ridiculous. Some, something like you are ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it happens, it'll feel like a piece of me went in there. I will tell you that. 
Go ahead, well, Tom. I'm sure, I'm sure you will be. You will be. They'll, they'll have your 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 uh, call in the Hall of Fame forever. Dan, the conversation when you try to present or you do a great job of presenting a guy like Jimbo Covert, because he's a, a little bit farther removed, but his production is undeniable. When you when you talk to the rest of the members of the group that you talk to on behalf of Jimbo Covert, what is the point that you have to make for some of these guys to recognize how talented of a guy he was immediately, not two or three years into his career. You know, I played in a college all-star game, was a senior in college, the same time Jimbo was. And he's the type of guy when you shook his hand for the first time that you knew that he was going to be a starter the day whatever team drafted him. Yeah, Tom, I think, you know, the the challenge with Jimbo is he had two things uh, that were kind of people that made people overlook him. The first is that he only played in two Pro Bowls. Second was he didn't have a real long career. But anyone like you or Jeff who saw him play would tell you that, you know, he was, he dominated everybody. So I think the challenge with him was just to get past that hurdle, uh, which, which took something like how many years did it take? 25 years of eligibility or whatever it was. Um, and, you know, and then we were fortunate to have a centennial class where we examined a lot of players uh, that, you know, had kind of slipped through the cracks of time. And uh, fortunately, uh, the committee members were able to to look at what Jimbo did and how he dominated, dominated against great players like Lawrence Taylor, for instance, and just did it consistently over his career and was part of this incredible offensive line that, uh, you know, led the league in rushing uh, for so many seasons and uh, obviously was a part of great team success too. So it was, it was great to see Jimbo recognized. We appreciate all your time and insight as always. Uh, you know, we think the world of you, Danny. Appreciate My it. My pleasure. It's always good to be with you guys. Thank you for having Thanks, me. Thanks, Dan. The Athletics' Dan Pompey, our guest. Tom and I will continue our conversation on what looks uh, like a very challenging second half of the season for the Bears, beginning with the Baltimore Ravens coming to Soldier Field next Sunday at a noon start. We'll talk about that and more coming up here on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This segment of Bears All Access is brought to you by CDW. People to get it. Jeff Joniak and Tom Thayer, our final segment tonight on Bears All Access, and hope you're enjoying your bye week all across the globe as we get you set for the second half of the season. First, though, as we touched down with uh, Dan Pompey earlier this evening, uh, the death of Clyde Emmerich at the age of 90, the Bears uh, and NFL's first strength coach uh, passed away this week, and it was back in 2008 when the Bears honored Clyde Emmerich by naming their weight room the Clyde Emmerich Weight Room, and it was an impactful moment. Or Clyde, as he told Lauren Screeden of Inside the Bears. Vine McCaskey called me and says, we're going to have a meeting with Ted on summer camp. I said, okay. So I got my stuff together because I helped him on summer camp with him. And uh, so we go into Ted's office and I put my stuff down and Vine's there and Ted's there. And first thing Ted says, well, he says, well, he says, this building is named after George Hallett. So I think I says, terrific. Yeah, absolutely it should be. And the training center, the, as we call it, the, the bubble, is named after Walter Payton. I said, oh, absolutely. I said, it should be. Yeah, certainly. And she says, well, what do you think if we call the weight room the Clydemic? You know, and I, <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> I mean, it was a total surprise. And obviously, it's, 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 it's an enormous compliment. So what did it mean to him to have that room named in his honor? And we'll always be there now. You know, Clyde's a humble guy. And I think it's a reflection of his dedication to the Bears as an organization. 
I don't think um, outside ownership, there's anybody that's ever walked in that building has been more fair in his approach and how he treated everybody in that building. From a first rounder to a front office member, Clyde treated you the same. And he wanted to listen to you. He wanted to help educate you in whatever you were asking about his experiences in life. And he was able to do that. But I think more important, rather than his name on the side of that building, in the last 24 hours, I talked to a couple strength coaches around the NFL that work directly with Clyde Emmerich. The way they go about their job is the way that they learn to go about their job from Clyde Emmerich. And I think when he can carry on his legacy to other NFL teams, uh, it means a lot to the Bears organization, but it means a lot to Clyde Emmerich because he's inspired these guys that do the same job he does and they want to do it like Clyde Emmerich. And I, I think if you can inspire anybody in the world of whatever you do, if there's a broadcaster that goes on that wants to be like Jeff Joniak or there's a guy that that wants to be like Clyde Emmerich, that's inspiring. And here's how it all started. The first Chicago Bear that I met uh, was a fellow named Stan Jones who happens to be in the Football Hall of Fame now. Super, super guy. Anyway, he happened to go to a place that I did a little working out at, and Stan Jones came in there and uh, asked uh, who was working out there, and this fellow said, well, Clyde Emmerich uh, worked out there. He said, I'd like to meet him. So we met. So then I took Stan to the Irving Park Y, where I did all my training uh, through the years, started working with him, and uh, this isometric uh, craze came out. And like you said, Coach Hallis wanted to know anything that would help uh, improve the team. So he inquired about it, asked Stan Jones, and Stan said, well, I'm working out with a guy that knows about that. He said, well, can you bring him up? So he did. So uh, I met uh, George Hallis uh, on several occasions and discussed uh, procedure and what the results would be. And what I liked about him was, you know, I'd say, okay, here's what this is all about. And he, okay, he'd write it down. And I'd say something else, he'd write it down. I thought, ooh, he's writing everything down. I say, that, that was pretty neat. But it so happened that they won the World Championship that year in 1963. Uh, I don't know, I can't say that there was much uh, because of the the isometric, because this is all new. But uh, point is, it kind of opened the door in, in 1971, and I became uh, the strength coach here. And you loved every minute of it, Tommy. Listen, I hear so many stories about the Irving Park YMCA where Clyde started his weightlifting and how he had grew attachments to Stan Jones. I sat with Stan Jones and talked to him for two days about what Clyde Emmerich meant to him. The other stories along the way, the rehabilitation of Gail Sayers after his horrific knee injury, uh, what he did for other members of the Chicago Bears um, playing family. It, it is, you know, Clyde never took an approach where he was bigger than the game or he was bigger than what he wants you to be. And that was the most important thing about Clyde because he tells me stories about, you know, working out with Doug Buffon and by the time Doug Buffon went to put a suit on, he couldn't fit anymore because Clyde turned him into a bigger player. The first time that Jim Finks asked him to go look at Dan Hampton to see if he thought he could become a player and just the reflections that he had on appearance and what he could do for and to a player if he just had him in the weight room for a couple months. And then you throw guys uh, and the, the people are f more familiar with nowadays, you know, obviously Olin Kruitz was always going to be in the weight room no matter what, but just uh, that Roberto Garza, Cody Whitehair of, of today. Um, and, and you're probably familiar with a little bit more of the guys that uh, 
are so dedicated in the weight room up there right now that Clyde touched. So it's uh, it's great history, great great lineage uh, that, that links so many generations of Bears football uh, with the passing of Clyde Emmerich. Is you know I talked to Clyde last Thursday and we are sitting in the room and talking. He was so inspired because within a 24 hour period, Doug Plank called him and Olin called him, and he was just so thankful that he could live leave that impressions on these types of guys that are the stalwarts and the stars in the history of the Bears. All right, so what's ahead? Uh, Matt Nagy on the Bears Coaches Show Monday night says, yeah, it's it's not going to be an easy second half. You know, you know the schedule better than anybody. I mean, we, we got some we got some really good football teams ahead of us. So, and that's how it should be. We get that. We, we need to be able to beat all of those teams that are in front of us. And we really feel like with who we have and getting, getting some of our guys back is going to be crucial. But um, it definitely makes you better, that's for sure. And I think really for, again, looking at Justin, for him to be able to play some of these defenses that he's seeing, um, he's done a he's done a really really good job of you know making the game slow down a little bit on defense, but yet still making plays and being great Monday you know through Saturday, and that's where we want to keep growing. And that hopefully is the case. They got nine games to do it, and it starts with Baltimore a week from Sunday. Yeah, nothing's easy in the NFL, and that's the great thing about competition, and that's the great thing about the development of a team that every, everybody's pointed in the same direction. And I do think there's building blocks from that Steelers game that you can turn them into a positive that will help this team down the stretch. All right, some quick hitters here. Most impressive play from a Bears player in the first nine games of the season that maybe you didn't see coming? The bendability in the corner of Robert Quinn. Uh, here's a guy that really took, um, you know, there was a lot of question marks about what he's really going to add to the team. Was he getting older? No, I think this year he looks better. And, and I would go in the same direction, and I'm also pleasantly surprised with the play of Khalil Herbert. Uh, this guy can play in the league for a long time. He's got the instincts to do it, and he's got the quickness to do it. Defensively, you know, you, you needed the stars to play at a star level. Injuries have obviously muted some of that. If these guys can get healthy, they can still be a dangerous defense in the second half. Yeah, I think you still have to experience with the creativity of new defensive coordinator Sean Desai. Uh, allow these guys to be in the most threatening positions they can possibly play in. And how is pressure on the opponent's quarterback going to compute into interceptions in the second half of the season as the weather deteriorates? And if they can get some turnovers, if they can create turnovers, this is a defense that have a different power. Are you worried about the way they've handled the run game lately? You know, that's always a concern because, of, like I said, as conditions deteriorate in the second half of the season, teams will they will want to run the ball more often. What I saw out of the defensive front against the Steelers, to me, I think Eddie Goldman is playing a better brand of football. I think Akeem Hicks can still be as powerful as anybody on the defensive line. If you can get Blau Nichols, Mario Edwards Jr., Angelo Blacks, and Kairos Tonga, if they can all continue to elevate their play, I think this is a team that can still play the run pretty you know pretty good all right tom i'll let you go appreciate it uh that's going to wrap up tonight's show with tom thayer i'm jeff joniak thanks to dan pompey and thanks of all to you for listening thanks to our producers dan brilli and jordan tread and the folks here at the score that'll do it for us this is chicago sports radio 670 the score good night everybody